Welcome to the Voices of Young People podcast, brought to you by Springtide Research Institute. In each episode, we hear directly from young people as they respond to our research and share about the issues impacting their lives. As sociologists and researchers, we see a new story unfolding for young people, one that moves beyond traditional institutional boundaries and requires careful attention to the inner and outer lives of emerging generations. At the intersection of being and becoming, it's the Voices of Young People. Uh, I think you buried the lead here, Emily. You still have connection with a friend of yours from elementary school? I do, yeah. That is very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've been friends since kindergarten. It's really odd. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Voices of Young People podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Packer, the executive director of Springtide Research Institute. And uh, I'm really excited to be here today with Emily Anding, one of our fantastic set of interns and our inaugural class of interns here at at Springtide. Uh, Emily, why don't you introduce yourself and tell people sort of what drew you to the position and and, uh, where you're at in life. Uh, Hi, I'm Emily. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I was drawn to Springtide through school, actually. I am pursuing an AA in psychology at Normandale Community College in Bloomington, and my psychology professor has become my mentor, and he saw an article about Springtide in the Star Tribune, and he was really interested because he did his dissertation on uh, spirituality and psychology, and so he thought it would be an awesome thing for me to get involved with, and it's been an awesome experience so far. I'm so lucky to be doing the work that we're doing. Yeah, well, we're lucky to have you. Thank you. You know, one of the things we've been doing in this series, this Voices of Young People series, and using, you know, you and Jana and Sarah and some other people to help us to help us wrap our heads around is all of these findings that came out of that first report, uh, Belonging, Reconnecting America's Loneliest Generation, which is up for sale on our site and at Amazon and iBooks, um, where we learned all kinds of really interesting things. And, you know, you sort of started your term as an, as an intern, like right in the middle of that process. Um, and I'm curious about sort of how you react um, or, or how you see some of these trends showing up in your own life. And the one I'd like to talk about today is really about this incredibly surprising um, finding that we came up with about how to combat the uh, impacts of loneliness and isolation. So we've already talked about, and it's well established that young people have, you know, high rates of loneliness, isolation, and stress. And by young people here, we're talking 13 to 25. You're right in, in that age range. And our initial hypothesis was that surely this will be different for young people who go to church <laughs> or who go to synagogue or, you know, are involved with a religious group or campus ministry in some way. And the really stunning thing was that we found that, that you know, that attendance had no particular um, buffering effect against those impacts. So I'll just read a couple of numbers here, and then I'm curious to get your, your sense. So when we looked at all the people we interviewed, and I mean, all the people we surveyed, 39% of young people said uh, that they sometimes or always have nobody to talk to. And those who attend religious gatherings, that number goes from 39% to 36%. 33% said that they sometimes or always feel completely alone. When we look at those attending religious gatherings, that number goes only down to 30%. Um, no one really knows me well, 36 to 33, and on and on and on. So, 
the the and that's well within the margin of error. I mean, functionally, there's no there's no distinction here. Like, why you know what do you how, what do you make of that? That attendance at a religious gathering doesn't actually make people feel less lonely and isolated. Well, I grew up in a very Christian circle, and I didn't feel part of my faith community. Um, I'm a lesbian, and so when I came to terms with my sexuality, I found myself acting apart in my faith community. And I say apart, but I really mean that as one word, like standing apart. Mm. Um, you know, not a role, but to one side at yeah. a distance. So on one hand, I was either being overtly or privately condemned for my lifestyle. Um, and so, you know, it's... it. John fourteen six says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think the unspoken second half of that verse is that there's no salvation or no redemption outside of Christianity. And I felt that the saving I needed was unconditional love, not necessarily through a deity, but through my community. Hmm. Um, and the church sort of feeds a mantra of judgment. And so I felt at once condemned and whole. So like completely okay with my identity, but utterly standing apart from my community. Hmm. And and does that the I mean, there's both an explicit like scriptural reference that you're making there, but the but there's also I mean, tell me tell me about the relational aspect of that. I mean, that's the flip side of what we found in belonging was that while attendance didn't matter, relationships really could be this this like key mechanism that connects young people and makes them feel less lonely and isolated. So you know, showing up sitting in a pew, you know, simply going to a youth group didn't make any difference. Um, but adult relationships mattered. I mean, how did you find that with your adult relationships? Same thing or is it different? Uh, unfortunately, it was pretty much the same thing. My closest relationship was with my grandparents who raised me um, and they were pretty condemning of that. And so I felt very separated from them. So I felt separated from my core family as well as my faith community. Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty big like hurdle to to get through. Um, what about now? I mean, are you are do you find yourself being drawn to to spiritual or religious practices or groups um, that you're sort of you know you're you're certainly into your college years. You're you know older and able to make more of your own decisions. How does this look in your life now? I am. I think mostly out of curiosity. I think it's so interesting to find the way that spirituality surfaces in people's psychological lives and mm -hmm. how they use that to find, just find belonging, you know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> the root of our research. Um, but it's, it's an interesting way that people assign meaning to themselves and their lives and their spheres. And I enjoy that. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of things you're finding, like where you're finding that sense of belonging and meaning right now in terms of spiritual practice? I don't know that I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, once in a while I go to a Unitarian church, um, but not very often. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's difficult. Are there people in your life that you, that you talk about these issues with or that you feel comfortable with or, or have those experiences from when you were younger just sort of closed off that as a possibility no I like having these conversations um my psychology mentor is a person that I talk to about faith a lot and I have a lot of Christian friends still and so it's interesting to have faith discussions with them mm -hmm. so you'll still have those relationship connections with people but the institutional expression is just completely missing correct I think as I've gotten older 
there's more understanding and leniency in the teachings as well. And so a lot, a lot of people I know are more inclusive than the people I grew up with. Oh, like you've seen more inclusive theologies out there than yes. what the expression. And how, how are you encountering those? Like, is that through social media or is that through conversations with people? Or like, in what ways have you been exposed to those, those kinds of ideas that are maybe a little bit more bigger tent, so to speak? I suppose mostly social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, some in person, but, you know, like I said, I hardly ever go to church or anything like that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of social media and seeing it that way. Yeah. Does that, when you think about your peers and your friends, I mean, you know, when, when we looked at this sort of institutional commitment or this attendance measure, I mean, do you see the other, your, your, the people around you, are they still attending and going, you know, to church every week and other maybe campus ministry events or anything like that? Not really any of my friends are, no. I have one friend from my Christian elementary school that still goes, but even she's had, you know, like a little, um, like doesn't enjoy church as much anymore as she used to. She felt that it wasn't necessarily in line with the teachings that she believed or wasn't mm-hmm. really true to the religion. It was just kind of a, almost like a scheme. I don't know. <laughs> almost like a scheme. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds bad, but... <laughs> Uh, I think you buried the lead here, Emily. You still have connection with a friend of yours from elementary school? I do, yeah. That is very impressive. <laughs> yeah, we've been friends since kindergarten. It's really odd. <laughs> so you kept the you kept the friendship, but, but you sort of ditched the institutional part of it that brought you together. Yes. Um, that's really... So when, you, when you're thinking about that, like, do, do your friends express... Um, like anger and antipathy and antipathy towards the institution or is it more of just like uh ambivalence like it doesn't seem to be for them um and it's not something they're super concerned with um i think some people are definitely emotionally engaged atheists or agnostics and there's definitely some anger and resentment there um but my one friend that goes to church regularly she sings in a worship band is i would say more wary of it than Mm. really you know, anything like just kind of skeptical, but still engages consistently. Yeah. This is interesting to me that even as, as you are, you know, yourself sort of moving away, have moved away over the last however many years from the institutional expression, you still have lots of um, friends who identify as Christian. I I don't know if that's the identity that you would claim or not. Um, But you, it seems, am I understanding correctly that like, Christians are okay with you <laughs> like are like rather you're okay with Christians but the but that the church part isn't necessarily uh drawing you in is that is that fair to say yes I think that's fair to say So how how do you sort of uh, I'm curious about sort of how you sort of hold those two things separately like that that you're you're totally good with you know having Christian friends but that you don't necessarily want to like go to their church with them. Uh I think for me it's that the institution really seems like almost a political structure like they mm. they try to evangelize in a way that seems like marketing and they try to fundraise in a way that seems 
not authentic, I guess, you know? I don't know. Mm. Like, there's there's mega churches and stuff like that, and it seems like they raise a ton of money, but it goes to, like, their buildings and stuff and making themselves bigger and look better instead of helping people in need. Like, there's a lack of humility in institutions that I don't really like. Oh, that's a really interesting phrase. A lack of humility in institutions that I don't really like. The it seems like that my is that is that part of what you experienced when when you were younger about the you know people telling you how to live your life and, and not i mean that, that's an aspect of all religion i suppose is that there's there's always you know i don't know of any religion that doesn't have some some edicts about what you should and shouldn't do and how you should practice even your own faith etc but it sounds like there was a certain amount of arrogance or hum, uh, of or hubris with people when you were younger in church saying you know, with the judgment and, and saying what you should or shouldn't do or be literally with your identity. Oh, and is that, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. There was a podcast I listened to a while ago. I'll have to dig up who it was. It was one that Andy recommended, but she said it seems unfair that the church is the product of so many people saying that, you know, they're... Um, the word I want <laughs> hypocritical um, because it's sort of like the spotlight effect like they're supposed to be walking the walk and so if they don't then they're labeled as hypocritical when in reality everyone is hypocritical but it does definitely seem a focal point um, of institutions in general you know as I said like the they're using their money to make themselves bigger and better and like expanding and stuff like that instead of like, donating more to the poor. Donating those funds to the poor seems hypocritical. And maybe even in the process, not not necessarily doing, it sounds like, the kind of work that, that it maybe would even reach the people inside of their own walls better. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the how that connection to feeling judged led to you feeling isolated and, and alone when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that well, it was a big product of my family, you know, and if, if I think if you're a sinner, people expect, well, Christians expect that you're going to hell. And so there's some level of, well, if I'm not going to see you in the next life, kind of what's the point in having a relationship with you in this one, which is kind of oh. odd. Like, uh, there's there's so much heartbreak over that condemnation and even like, as you said it it made me like it, it made me feel like heartbreak is exactly the word that i like that's exactly what i felt as you were explaining it yeah yeah sort of that condemnation and like a preemptive severing of ties like almost to like put off that end kind of you know like when you yeah. distance yourself from other people that you know are going to leave you because you're like trying to protect yourself almost. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a trauma response, but sure. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, and, and that's how you felt when, when this was happening to you. Yeah. Like I, you felt like people were, you, you felt like you were being left apart from the group to use that word from earlier. Yes, definitely. Hmm. Were there other, were there any relationships that helped carry you through that? Not in my faith community, really, no. No, yeah. I um, I moved across the country to be with my girlfriend, and then my grandparents, my grandma was diagnosed with 
Alzheimer's and my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. And so I moved back to Minnesota to help my sister care for them. And so I mm. like kind of rebuilt that relationship with them a little bit, but it was difficult. Sure. Sure. I can only imagine. And I mean, kudos to you for taking responsibility to do that work, to uproot your life and move back to take care of others. Um, that's a strong sense of responsibility, even while, you know, going to school and doing other things. Um, Emily, thank you so much for, for talking with us a little bit today about the, the isolation and loneliness and, and the intersection there with attendance. I mean, I can, it's, it's easy to see how attendance wouldn't make any difference if those were the kinds of things that were going on. And um, it certainly is a, a, a good thing for us to keep in mind about the, the, the way that you talked about being apart, that you could be in something and still apart from something at the same time and not feel super connected. Thank you for, for taking the time with us. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Um, that was another episode of the Voices of Young People podcast. Emily's been one of our fantastic interns this semester. We've got a call right now for interns for the summer and fall. If you're interested in being one of her colleagues, doing more of this kind of research, if you're a writer or if you want to be part of our social media team or if you're in the social sciences and want to be part of the research team, we'd love to hear from you. See an application. It's at springtideresearch.org. Visit springtideresearch.org to hear more voices of young people and to download our latest research report, Belonging, Reconnecting America's Loneliest Generation. Sign up for our newsletter and be the first to learn about our upcoming research and ways to take action in your own communities. Today's show was produced by TJ Birnbaum with original music by high school student Christian Unthink. Special thanks to our guests today and all the young people whose perspectives and insights make our research possible. Remember to find us on social media at We Are Springtide and share your own story with the hashtag showupforyoungpeople. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.